You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everybody, it's time for American Winer. Wednesday evening, podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? My guest tonight, Jeremy Kucharik, who Kucharik. just gave me the uh, the proper pronunciation of his last name. What is that? What's the where you, where's your family from? It's Polish. Polish. Okay, that yep. that that, uh, that would have been one of my guesses. Yep, it's my mom's my mom's last name. Oh, yep. really? Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's your legal name. It yeah. is. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I don't know my dad. So, oh, okay. I don't know what that possible last name could have been. Ah, all right. Well, you are an actor. Um, an actor. And uh, I met you in uh, the uh, Purple Rose uh, AD Lab last fall. Yep. And uh, and you act for a living now. I mean, that's what you do, right? Yeah, you, I'm at the Rose. Yeah. yeah I'm, you, I'm, you, are, uh, you were just in uh, uh, Never Not Once, and uh, you're about to start rehearsals for all my sons, right? Yep. We're halfway through uh, performances for Never Not Once. Mm-hmm. So we've got a few weeks left of that. And I think it's two weeks from now, two weeks from yesterday, we go into rehearsals for Never Not Once, mm-hmm. or excuse me, uh, all my sons. So it'll be the first time that I'm actually in a show and then also rehearsing my next show. Ah. Um, so that's, that's a good feeling though, especially as an actor, right? Where you're like, my next job is already taken care of yeah that's not lost on me it it won't always be that way so i'm appreciating it while i can well let's start at the beginning i always ask the same question at the beginning of uh every interview and that is where were you born i was born in warren warren Um, michigan yep my mom my mom came from roseville so uh i was living in roseville when i was first born and uh and that's where she grew up so roseville's about 15 miles north of detroit Near like St. Clair Shores, Gross Point, less money though. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we actually, I only stayed there for like nine months there in Roseville. And then we moved to the Sticks. We moved to Quincy, Michigan, which is a small town that's pretty close to Indiana. Oh, okay. um, so I kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere. She was looking for a place with a good, good education, uh, easy to raise a kid, maybe a little safer than the suburbs of Detroit. And uh, I stayed there for 12, 13 years. Wow, so Quincy, Michigan. I've never even heard of that, that yeah. place. Do you know Coldwater? I do, yeah. Okay, it's it's basically Coldwater. It's like an extension of Coldwater. Okay, all right. Um, what did your mom do for a living? Um, a bunch of stuff. So she worked in a factory for, for some of my childhood. Uh, my earliest memories, though, are of, of her working in a nursing home. So uh, that was actually a really interesting way to grow up. Yeah. Did so? Did, did she take you to work and things, or she did? So she, she worked midnights a lot. But um, if she worked in the afternoons after school, I would walk to the nursing home and spend a couple of hours there with the uh, the elderly people. And uh, I loved old people as a kid. I still do today. But I had a kind of a an easier time talking to adults and talking to to old people when I was a kid than I did my peers or kids my age. Yeah. Are you an only child? Yeah. Very much so. So that 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 actually isn't surprising thing to hear about that where kids, you know, you're around adults more, you know. So yeah, my mom treated me like a little adult. There was never anything that was kind of taboo or couldn't be talked about. Like if I asked a question, I got the truth. Mm-hmm. I was able to watch the movie she was watching, and and uh, she, yeah, she she never believed in in talking to me as a kid. And it was you and her then, just you and her. And, yeah, I was and, I was her little buddy, and yeah. Well, you said you lived in Quincy for 12, 13 years. So your entire childhood, pretty much. Um, what were you into? Like, what did you do with your time? Um, so I mentioned she worked midnights a lot. So there was a lot of 
there was a lot of time in my childhood where it would be like she'd come pick me up from school, we'd go home, and then she'd go to take a nap to prepare for work. So I actually spent a ton of time alone as a kid. Mm. Um, I had a, my own TV and VCR in my room at a really early age. So there was a lot of time reading books and watching TV. And um, I didn't get a lot of big city action when I was a kid really at all. Um, a lot of the things that, you know, kids around here would maybe take for granted. I, I didn't get those opportunities. So a lot of my learning and a lot of my awareness came from media, came from watching TV, came from movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What kind of a student were you? I was a really good student. Um, I was always, uh, a kind of a head in English spelling, uh, reading. So starting in like third, fourth grade, I would go to classes that were a year or two advanced and study with the older kids. But then at the same time, I always sucked in math and science. So oh. I was always kind of on the, on the, the lesser track of, of those. And that's not something that's any different today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, creative, you're a creative minded person and, you know, instead of a technical minded person. So yeah, that was pretty clear at an early age, mm -hmm. especially, I mean, that makes sense if you, it's, uh, if you spent a lot of time alone, like you said, you must have had a really active imagination and, and did you like come up, especially if you're reading and things, did you come up with your own like stories ever? Or? Yes. Yes. There was a lot of um, imagination work as a kid. Um, I had this really big toy box that, that a family friend built for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember always tipping out the toy box and then pretending it was a car and, and traveling to all the places that I really wanted to go, like Disney World. And Oh my God. Yeah. So it was, was it like shaped like a car or was it like, I mean, cause I had a, a toy box when I was a kid and it was like a barn. Like a, you opened up the roof and the toys were inside. <laughs> Was it one of those or was it just like a, like a toy box? Like it was a, a box. It uh, was literally like wood that was, it was a box. It was straight up. And box. you would, did you like attach a, uh, like give yourself a steering wheel in it? You the know, frisbee. Yeah. the frisbee. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, you know what I did, man? I didn't have a box to sit in, but I would make my cars. I, I, the one thing I remember I did was I had upside down shoes would be the pedals. And I remember when I discovered <laughs> that, Hey, this looks, like this is this actually feels like I'm driving. You know, that's the yeah, greatest like thing. I was I can't wait to actually drive. And now I you know now it's just like I, think I used a baseball bat. Is I did a lot of shifting. Uh huh. Yes. There you go. So <laughs> so all right. Uh, you said you read a lot. What were you? What did you read? God, uh, at that age, I think there was a lot of Amelia Bedelia. Uh, oh, I remember her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Boxcar Children. Once I got a little bit older, and then uh, R.L. Stein Fear Street. We got. Do you remember Book It at Pizza Hut? Uh, no, I don't. Was it was, that a it was the school program where if you read like 10 books, then you would like fill up the stars on your pen. You would take it to Pizza Hut and they would give you like a little personal pan pizza. Uh. So maybe like once a month we would trek up to Pizza Hut in the distant world of, of cold water and it would oh, be a man. treat on a Friday night or something. That's like the best kind of pizza as a kid is the kind that you earned, right? Yeah, <laughs> ex something. exactly. Yeah, I learned that <laughs> early on. I had to read books if I wanted to get a treat. You said you read Fear Street, not Goosebumps? No, I didn't really read Goosebumps. There was a couple, The Haunted Mask. Do you remember that oh, one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually, I am not ashamed to admit, I just th this week got the very last one in the mail and I have the entire original Goosebumps <laughs> on my uh, on my bookshelf now. That makes me so happy. Yeah. It That's was something awesome. I'd always wanted and now I'm an adult and I, and I have it. And I don't read them because if, if, have, you, have you read them since? Like have you read those types of books since you've been an adult? No. They're fucking terrible. They, yeah. are, they don't well, hold up. I think if you read Fear Street, you might be surprised. 
There would be also there was also this uh, series called The Babysitter. There was like four parts to it. That, that was, was pretty too, right? Yeah, R.L. Stein. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. I remember Fear Street too. There was one. The second one was called um, "Who's Been Sleeping in My Grave," and it has the picture of the, the old woman on the front making the sh- uh, face. The sh- face. Yeah, and uh, I don't remember that one. And uh, I remember I read that, and I was pretty young at the time. I remember thinking like, this is way more intense than than what I'm used to from him. Yeah, and. Uh, and so maybe maybe if I did go back and read those, maybe that would maybe I'll be like, hey, these are pretty good. Yeah, I liked I liked um, horror and and still to this day, kind of like things that could happen. So if we're in an imaginary realm where like masks take us over and it's it's kind of this this otherworldly thing, I, I won't be as connected to it as as if it's like you know some babysitter getting stalked by some dude. Right. Right. That's more feasible than the uh, than the mask coming to life. It could happen. That's actually scary. Or anything like that. I'm still scared of dummies, though. Oh yeah, yeah. That's 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 good. That's why he put it in there. That's why that was like the seventh one. So he had that idea right off the bat. You can tell. Yeah. Um. So when did acting come in? Then when when did you uh, first take an interest in that? Um. You know, I think it was more about performing for me when I was a kid. Um. I. I liked to dance. I found that at a pretty early age. I think I was less than nine or 10 when I first started dancing and, and kind of just seeing that, that power that you have when, when all of the eyes are on you, you know, and people are listening, what you can do with that. Um, and I was in, I was in youth group at church. And, uh, when I was in the sixth grade, we went on this field trip to see a Christian rock band Petra. And there's a, there's a couple of other bands. Do you recognize that name? I remember the name. I have no other than that. I have absolutely no frame of reference Same. to Petra, but. And I didn't then either. Um, but we went on this field, this field trip or, what, or whatever. And it was a pretty big concert. I remember there being a lot of people there and we were really close. And the, uh, the lead singer, for whatever reason, pointed me out and ushered me to come on stage. So, so they brought me on stage. I didn't know the words of the songs. I remember being embarrassed about that. But what I remember is looking out and seeing hundreds or thousands of people and and just being bit with that bug. So And how old were you when that happened? I was 11, 10, 11. 11. Yeah. And uh, it was shortly thereafter that I started doing like church plays. I played Jesus in a, in a church play, <laughs> which – it's like sacrilegious. I don't know. No, no, no it's not. Everybody's got to go through that. If you if you were in church plays, everybody wanted to be Jesus, man. Yeah. Like that was the the Christmas play, whatever. You know, you didn't want to get stuck being a freaking like you know stable animal or something. You <laughs> wanted to be Jesus at Easter. Or yeah, right off, so, right off. I was good. Yeah, yeah. So um, we we I did that, and then I started with school plays shortly after the the first production in school that I did was Beauty and the Beasts. Who um, were you? I was Paul Bell's brother in some edition where Bell had a oh, brother so it was named like Paul. They they added some things on then. Huh? Yeah, it wasn't Disney. It wasn't Disney. Yeah, and and then there were a few years where um, in middle school there weren't a lot of opportunities for me. I was still in Quincy, and they didn't do any other plays. So I didn't I didn't act for those years, but I did music. I did band. So um, I started uh, on clarinet. Uh, because I thought it was the name for the trumpet. And I was really surprised when I got this woodwind instrument and didn't know what I was going to do with this reed. And I still, to this day, hate the idea of putting like like a popsicle with a wooden stick. Like I can't do it. Like wood on my tongue is something that like does not – it's repulsive it's, to you. Yeah, yeah, it's like nails on a chalkboard for for most people. But I excelled. I did really well. I was I was first chair for – 
for a good deal of time that I was in band. And then I became drum major, realized that like I maybe didn't do that well with authority over my own peers. So that was short lived. And then we moved, I, I moved back to Roseville. And so that was at like 13, 14. So that's where I went to high school. Ah, so that, that is quite the shift then. Cause that's almost like your life was, you know, pre and post that move, you know, your childhood. A hundred percent. So what was that like then? What was it like getting into high school? Oh God, it was, it was really freeing. Um, I did not do well in a rural environment as a kid and, uh, I didn't play sports. I couldn't, I couldn't play sports. I didn't identify with that. And so to, to get to the suburbs, there were a lot of other opportunities and arts was a bigger thing there. So, um, I remember moving in next to like one of the most popular kids in school and, um, I was the new kid on the block, but I kind of was taken under, under the wing of some of the cool kids or whatever. So it was like night and day for me. And, um, we did a, we did a musical, uh, in junior high that year, we did fiddler on the roof. And, um, I had originally been cast as pear chick mm-hmm. who I don't even know who that, that, that character is in, in the play offhand, but the guy playing Tevia broke his knee. So at, playing at, sports, he, he, no, he was actually a drum major. <laughs> in the marching band and he broke his knee on the field oh my god so at 14 i played tevia in the in the fiddler on the roof which is also probably sacrilegious <laughs> well, <laughs> um so and then that was so that sounds like that was when you did that make you go this is what i want to do that's like, when it became more constant that's when a lot of people in my family saw me uh performing for the first time and i didn't have any fear and that was pretty uncommon at that age. So I was completely comfortable. I was, I was actually more comfortable on stage, uh, than I was off stage. Yeah. That tends to happen to teenagers that, that, that really enjoy performing, right? Yeah. On stage, you're in control. And, and it's, it's, it, it was an opportunity to step outside of myself, be someone else or just, you know, a very specific version uh, of, of myself. And, and that it stayed that way for a really long time. I want to say like eight, nine, 10 years, I was probably more comfortable on stage, knew who I was better on stage than I did off. Yeah. What we'll come back to high school. What changed it? Do you think at the end of that decade? Yeah. Um, I was a senior in college and, uh, we were doing, I was doing my final production in the program. I went to Wayne state. I was a BFA student at Wayne state in Detroit and I'd never done Shakespeare before. And we were doing The Taming of the Shrew. I was cast as Hortensio. Mm. And he's in charge of a lot of the exposition at the beginning of the play. He introduces people to Petruchio and Kate. And- is, is he the we are the only love gods? Is that his line? I don't know. It's been a long time. Yeah. I haven't. Anyway. I, I hated it. You didn't like a it really? lot because it, it didn't seem, it, it didn't feel active to me. That was probably my own, my own fault as an actor. Um, but. I'll never forget. So, so like when you're doing Shakespeare, you can't ad lib. If you forget your line, you can't, you can't fuck it up and then just try to like fudge along and, and make it work. You're, you're done yeah. until you get back on track. Cause it's in verse. And like we were in one of the first scenes and I just went up on lines and I was looking at my scene partner, Gremio, I think, and, and just did not know where to go. And he threw in a couple of lines and, and we made it work, but the audience lost a lot of information that they needed. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I tensed up and I didn't stop tensing up for the entire run of the show. And I remember just like thinking about what my next line was. 
um, throughout the entire show every night, which is just death of an actor, right? And I didn't do another show after that for years. Really? Yeah, it really went into the wilderness. It changed things for me a lot. And um, also, you know, when you're young and when you're in high school, it's like anything that you do is is going to be some somewhat Phrased. good. Yeah. Yeah. But when you get to college, you're kind of low on the totem pole. They break you down to build you up to to teach you. And, and we got a great education. I really studied with some some amazing people. James Luce, who came from Yale mm. and Lavinia Hart and uh, Michael Barnes, a lot of. I got a, a great foundation there, but a lot of that is, is, is taking away everything that you thought you knew about acting and doing it the right way. So I got in my own way a lot. You know, I didn't, I wasn't firing the judge at that point. I wasn't able to, to, to put the work away to then just like be myself on stage and breathe and, and be present. So it was, it was a couple of years. I did a show at Northern. I moved up to Northern Michigan and I did a flea in her ear. Um, kind of got my groove back, but then I wasn't on stage again until last year. Really, that so, long? Yeah, huh? yeah. Not that you're you're my age, so you're not. It's not no, that but long, that was. But that's a big eight, gap. It was eight years for something that you're passionate about, right? Yeah. Um. Well, so let's let's go back. And before we do, I just realized that the love gods line is in Much Ado About Nothing, not the Taming <laughs> of the Shrew. So that's why you couldn't. Th- and it's similar plot. It's we're gonna hook these people up and cause some, you know, some mischief type that's the basic premise right but uh but um i love that show that's actually my favorite comedy much to do about nothing my favorite shakespeare comedy yeah have you seen the uh, joss whedon version no no he did it in like a weekend or something he did it in like a week it was after he did the avengers and in between something else and uh it's 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 good it's a it's an interesting it's like all the different and i'm not a huge joss whedon fan but this girl I was dating at the you time. You just lost so many listeners. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, this girl I was dating at the time was really, in, and it's his like, you know, it's it's his crew. You know, it's Alexis Desnoff and Amy Acker and all them. Check it out. If you like Shakespeare, wow. be worth yeah, checking out. Absolutely. Um, anyway, um, so back to high school. Did you do plays every single year then in high school? You were That was your thing? Yeah. Debbie Connor um, was our, our theater teacher and she came out of U of M, I want to say. She was very passionate and um, we had a really close bond and she she put me on stage a lot. We did sh- two shows a year and uh, I was the lead for a, a lot. We did Grease. I played Danny, oh, even man. though I can't really sing, but I can dance. There were a lot of voices in that show that were like, the hell is he doing in this role? <laughs> but um, they got to they got to gauge it though. It's like, yeah, we're gonna be suffering on the singing, but he can dance better than other. God, people, he looks so. good in that leather jacket. Yeah, right? and that too. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I did, I did that. So she, she, she afforded me a lot of opportunities, and um, I was lucky. Yeah. What was your favorite show in high school that you were in? It was probably Greece. It, it, it was probably Greece. We did a murder mystery called Murders in the Air that I really enjoyed as well. Mm-hmm. Um. But I have like such vivid memories of some of those shows, you know, like I remember we had this choreographer, Kevin Leon, who came in from Vegas, actually. I don't, I, he was from Roseville and they, they choreographed this. He choreographed this lift where Cha-Cha is on my shoulders with her like knees bent and I'm supposed to like grab her and like do this really weird like swan dive dip with her. Oh my God. And I – every night I was just terrified that I was just going to smack her face on that stage. It yeah. never happened but – um. That girl is actually uh, – Chacha was played by Crystal Reed and uh, Crystal Reed was most recently in Teen Wolf on MTV and she's shooting Swamp Thing now. Oh, wow. Yeah, North Carolina, South Carolina. 
That's the yeah then yeah they're doing a new swamp thing now aren't they Yep she's is the that girl Marvel Marvel's doing it right yeah Is it Marvel It's either no it's DC DC swamp Yeah it's DC. DC yeah Cool I'm a DC guy so I'm happy about that Yeah yeah Batman's my first you know Same so Yep Um but uh So after high school did you right, go to Wayne State right away I did yeah I didn't want to go to school I didn't have any plans of college honestly I Wanted to do the acting thing. I wanted to move to LA right off and it didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of my friends though auditioned for scholarships at Wayne State. There was a talent scholarship. So if you got the scholarship, half of your tuition was completely paid for. And I was like this arrogant son of a bitch at 17. I was like, I'm not auditioning. I'm not going to go to school. And some of my friends got that scholarship and then I ended up attending school there and then they dropped out. And oh, I was like, huh. I'm still $40,000 in debt from that shit. Totally worth it. You're a millennial. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned, you kind of talked about Wayne State a little bit, but uh, I mean, tell us tell us what that was like and what you went through when you were there. Yeah, I, I moved to Detroit in 2004. There wasn't a ton of young people living in the city then. That was the Kwame era there, the beginning of the Kwame it era. It was. Yeah. yeah, the entire time I think Kwame was in office, the entire time I was there, Um I remember, I remember the election in 2004 voting for the first time. I remember the next day when W was voted in, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was bad until, <laughs> until a couple of years ago. And then I, I learned what bad was, but, um, there's my, there's my wine for the, yeah. for the podcast. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, for some of those years we would stay, we would stay at school in the summer. I, I got an apartment, so I was still living in there, there in the summer and I just remember like tumbleweeds blowing through the streets. Like at that time, there was not a lot of activity um, that wasn't during the school year living there in Midtown. And uh, and I loved living in Detroit. And I got a lot of really cool opportunities at Wayne State. I worked at the Hillbury Theater in the box office. So I was really involved with the theater company while I was there and stayed busy. But it's amazing having left Detroit and coming back now, you know, the, the Renaissance or whatever's happened here is happening here. Um, it's I amazing wish... what bankruptcy can do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot more than that, just a lot of passion. There's a lot of love in the city. And I, those, those five years when I was living in the city back then, I, I wish it was a little bit more like that today. I'm, when I go to Wayne state, I'm like, wow, this place is unrecognizable now. Is it? And I'm like both excited at the, at the growth and then also like a little perturbed, like these like kids jealous, don't know yeah. what it's like to live in Detroit. Yeah. Real. They don't Detroit. know what it was like when I lived here before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how long were you at Wayne state then? Four years? No, five years. Five years. Victory lap. Yeah. And so you, you did a bunch of shows. You, you had a good time until you did Shakespeare. Yeah. And then, and then you were like, I need a break. Yeah, I did um, some really great shows there in the studio theater, which is under the Hillberry, and it's uh, closer to a, a black box stage. It's actually sim- more similar uh, to the Rose stage than you know the big proscenium at the Bonstell would be. I did Proof um, by David Auburn. I played Hal. I did Lobby Hero, which uh, just was on Broadway, I think, last year again. Um, I played Jeff in that, and uh, then I, you know, I did. I did a couple of musicals. I did Into the Woods. I did uh, Evita, and then who are the you in Evita? Um, Argentinian dancer number five oh, okay. and, and yeah. soldier number six. Yeah, we had an amazing Evita though. Jen Sessions. She did a great job. Hmm. I know that name. 
And yep. I'm not and I'm not well versed in the Detroit uh you know, theater scene. Yeah, so. she lives in New York now, upstate New York. Her husband was in I wanna say the original Broadway cast of the Book of Mormon, but they're doing well. Oh wow. I have a kid or two. Uh so what did you do when you took your break then? What was your you said yeah. You went to LA? I did, yeah. So um I kind of spent a year in Detroit um, working, finishing up my degree, figuring out what was next. I started modeling. Um, so then there was something called Fashion in Detroit, which was a, a big runway show with uh, with a lot of the top artists in the area. And the first year it was at Detroit Zoo. I walked for Carhartt and Kid Rock and Joe Ferris and started doing commercials for Art Van and GMC Goodwrench. And I got some traction pretty quickly. Um, at the same time I auditioned to be a, an auto show model. And at that time, Lincoln motor company was, um, kind of revamping their brand and, and doing a lot of changes. So they brought on some, some fresh faces and that was an exciting gig. Um, at that age, I hadn't seen much of the States. I'd been to New York once I'd been to Florida once, but this afforded me basically traveling everywhere in the country and seeing a lot of things for the first time. Uh, at the same time, I knew I wanted to be out of Michigan. Um, I really wanted to go to LA. I hated the cold. I hated the snow and I wanted to do screen work. So um, maybe six months after I got that gig with the auto show, I moved to LA and uh, ended up in LA for five years and uh, with the auto show for eight so that was your twenties then. That's that was my twenties. Exactly. Yeah. And my God, did I, did I do my twenties right? <laughs> my God. So <laughs> I love to tell. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff to, to get into in that period. Uh, but, uh, but moving, moving forward, how did you get out of all that and back into acting then? What? Well, I, I did acting while I was there. I didn't do theater. And that's kind of if you, if theater is your first love, LA's maybe not the place to go. There are a lot of of theaters there, but um, New York's theater, LA's film, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, or even Chicago, if you want to be uh, on the ground with some really uh, really incredible new work, LA is not necessarily the place to go. But I did have an agent and a manager. I was going out on commercial auditions. I did some really shit TV. Uh, while I was out there, what did you do? Is it anything that we might have heard of? I wish I could go back and and tell this the kid that kid not to not to do certain things. But like, you would submit yourself, or your agent would submit you for for crap. So I did some reenactment things. Like I didn't know I was pregnant. <laughs> um, I did a pilot for MTV that was somewhere between like Soul Train and TRL. Um, it was called Top Floor. It didn't get past the pilot episode, never got picked up. And then um, I did Jerry, God, Jerry Springer had a, a dating show at the time called Baggage. So you basically had to fill out this like 20 page questionnaire about yourself. And then they would take like the worst parts of it and then, and then kind of highlight or heighten it on the show. And like people were competing to go on a date with you. Mm -hmm. And then the, the girl who won kind of blew me off. I, I don't know. It was it was a funny experience working with Jerry Springer though, because he was like, what the hell am I doing here, kid? Like <laughs> I used to be mayor of Cincinnati. Like what the hell is going on? And that isn't even his show was over at that point too, wasn't it? it wasn't yeah. Jerry Springer. Yeah. People Jerry. weren't allowed to do the chant or anything, but uh, yeah, he was actually super kind. 
But yeah, I filled my time there with uh, just bouncing around the country and, and doing crap work like that and kind of had an epiphany. I was, I was supplementing my income doing cater waitering jobs. And um, those were actually pretty cool sometimes because I was working big parties with, uh, there were a lot of celebrities there. This one night I was working at LACMA, the Los Angeles Contemporary Museum of Art. And I had this huge table and it was just me on the table. And it was like Jason Statham and Naomi Campbell and Brian Grazier, who I really pissed off by pouring the, the wrong wine and Leonardo oh, no. DiCaprio. Did his hair get even more like, oh my God, uh, his hair. like pointed? <laughs> it was insane. Um, but I had this but DiCaprio was there. You said DiCaprio threw the party with like one of like the big women of art in, in Los Angeles. They throw this party every year to bring in a lot of money for the museum. And, uh, he was, he's cool. I've heard you're not allowed to touch him. Like he's, he's like, you don't touch Leo, like not even to shake his hand. I'm not looking to touch Leo. Yeah. <laughs> so I never but, found that out, but I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's Leo DiCaprio, right? Right. Right. Everyone, you know, he's, he's like, he's like, I have to preemptively do this because otherwise it's just going to be fucking, you know, yeah. women and men. It's better know? than the don't make eye contact. I can't stand that. Did you ever come across that? You don't need to name names. No, I don't think so. You know, LA gets a really bad rap. And I would say that most everybody that I came across minus Brian Grazier was a huge sweetheart. Mm. Um, people become successful for a reason. You know, you know how to talk to people and you know how to kind you know take people in it's they say success especially in show business i mean in anything but show business particularly is meeting the right people and then not pissing them off well that was that was kind of my problem and i i had an epiphany one that night um i had just poured a glass of wine for i think brian i turned around staring me dead in the eye was jared leto <laughs> for like 10 15 years i heard like you look like jordan catalana you look like jared leto and uh and so in that moment, we're looking each other in the eye. We're the same height. Our hair is done the same way. We're wearing the exact same thing, even though I'm. You're the waiter. I'm the yeah. waiter. And it, it, it occurs to me to say, has anybody ever told you that you look like Jeremy Kachari? <laughs> in the, in that, that moment passed, he had a big smile on his face. Like he was opening to receiving energy and I didn't say it because I didn't. I never wanted to take advantage of that moment. I never wanted to like make anybody uncomfortable. That's not what I was there for. I wasn't there for myself. Yeah. Yeah. But like all I would have had to do is have like a business card and be like, if you ever need a double, you know, like yeah, here's, yeah. here's my card. You, you never know what could happen. He could always say no, but he could always say yes. And I didn't. Uh -huh. And I remember going home that night and being like, well, then what the fuck am I doing here? If I'm not willing to take those risks, if I'm not, if I'm not here to do what I wanted to do and I'm, I'm always out of the city on these trips and doing this crap that I don't believe in. I'm not able to do theater. I'm not really acting. Why am I here? And that's when I chose to move back to Detroit. And how long had you been there at that point again? Five years. Five years. Yeah. And it was just that, like that. You're like, I'm, I'm moving back. That The next morning you started making arrangements. You know, it's like everything builds up in your backspace and then one moment changes it all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, and I, literally kind of drafted that night my whole plan and then and went to went to work and i was back in michigan in the next six months i want to say and uh actually didn't start acting again until a couple of years later just getting my feet back on the ground here but um appreciated michigan so much more the second time around you know i've heard a lot of people say this but 
sometimes for some people, it's a place that you have to leave and come back to in order to really love. I have, that is exactly, yes, I feel the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been a good sport about winter. I've been a good, because out there you don't have seasons. Mm -hmm. There's no renewal. Everything's kind of always a little dead, even though it's 70 and sunny and should be amazing. But the years, they just fly by because there's, there's not this beginning, middle, and end. It's just always the same. And then you wake up and you're 28 and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Here, it's different. You better get out there and enjoy those summer days while you have them because you're going to be stuck inside for the next six months. I'm not a skier. I'm not putting on boots and, and snow pants to go play in the snow. So, Yeah, I, 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 I've noticed that too. Like I just – for all of Michigan's faults, it's, it's home and it has its charm, you know, and, 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 yeah. uh, and you said that your siblings, you have two siblings and they both live in LA, right? They do. Yeah. 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 And they've, they've only been out there for, my brother's been out there for three years now. My sister's been out there for a year and a half. Tell, so. <laughs> this is what I hated most when I first moved to LA. People would be like, Oh, how long have you been here? And I'd be like six months a year. And they'd be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> talk to me when you've been here for two years. I was like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? And how do you know? Uh -huh. Then after I passed two years, you can like see it in people that like fresh face, the energy that comes from somewhere else. Like you can just like feel it. And it takes about two years to really get your bearings in that city. So now I totally understand it. But I would, I would advise to someone going into LA fresh or not having been there for two years, just lie. Especially if you're like looking for opportunity or auditions, just tell them you've been there for three to five years. They'll take you more seriously. Okay. Well. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> and I, I don't know if they'll, my sister probably won't listen to this. My brother might. So, so I'll he'll know uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, so when you got back to Michigan, you didn't start acting right away. No, I was, I was working for a friend of mine, um, that I'd known for 10 years. I used to dance in a company and he would come see some of the shows. Uh, Luna was the name of the company. And, um, so he was a good friend of mine and he owns a business here in Royal Oak and his dad started it. He took over. Uh, maybe 10 years ago. And it was a, a really nice way to to make a good living with great people, not necessarily anything to do with what I loved, but I wasn't going any place that I hated. And I was able to get rid of the auto show. I was able to walk away from the auto show um, and support yourself. Right? Yeah. Like maybe a year and a half in um, there was a play at Stagecrafters here in Royal Oak uh, bug by Tracy Letts. And that was holding auditions like a month after that. And, um, I prepared for that role and, and got Peter, which is, uh, kind of the, the lead of that, that show. And that's where I started again. I was off and running and it, it was kind of like getting like refining yourself, you know, like being in LA, discovering new things about yourself and, and, and bouncing all over the country. That was amazing. But I was like, oh, this is why I haven't been ultimately happy for the last eight years. This is what I love. I love, I love theater. I love the stage. You had to leave it to know. Yeah. What you wanted. And to find yeah. that confidence. There was none of that fear that I had felt there at the end when I came back into it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, kind of getting into the, the more, um, technical aspect of, of, of acting. Mm -hmm. Uh, what were some like performances that inspired you when you, you know, I mean, just, I guess in general, like throughout the years and, uh, do you have any influences as far as your acting goes? Wow. Um, early on, I loved, 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 uh, Lucille Ball. I love Lucy, the Lucy show. 
It's funny because I'm not a comedic actor. You you have to highlight the joke for me on the page most of the time. And then even maybe don't let me know what the joke is because I'll kill it. But I, I loved I loved that show. I loved um, watching her. I was a big fan of Pee-wee's Big Adventure as a kid. Everyone in my life probably watched that movie 200 times. Um I don't know what it was about the fantasy. That was Tim Burton's first film. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I, I just like dug that at an early age. Um, growing up, I love, um, you know, Jared Leto is a great actor, Requiem for a Dream when I was young. Um, I loved dancing. So like Dirty Dancing was one of my favorite films. I did really like look up to Patrick Swayze when I was younger. Um, it's funny now I don't, I don't watch a lot of what's on. I just watched the newsroom uh, this weekend. Uh, Jeff Daniels, uh, one of his most recent shows. I love that. I love uh, anything about like journalism. Like all the president's men is one of my favorite films. Spotlight was a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't post. know. You see the post Spielberg's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't as impressed with that film for whatever reason. Yeah, it was it was good, but it wasn't great. It was just it was just very middle of the road. It's very safe. Yeah. I don't know that I necessarily like follow an actor in specific or a few of them. More about the pieces for me, the films that I really take to. Mm -hmm. There's a a film in the early 2000s called A Home at the End of the World that I really liked. I don't know if you've ever seen that film. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What about theater? I mean, like, have you seen – can you think of any theater performances that made you go like, wow, that is – because what's great about theater is it's just like live music. The moment occurs and then, I mean, even if you record it, being there to see it in person is a completely, completely different, different situation. experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I actually saw All My Sons on Broadway. That was the first Broadway show that I saw about 10 years ago. And it was incredible. It blew me away. I just loved that. I, I can't remember. I know Katie Holmes was in it. Um, I can't remember who played Chris, Patrick something or other. Patrick Wilson. Oh, okay. He yeah, was yeah. really, really good. Um I actually just went to New York four or five months ago, right before we started class or maybe after class, um, to see To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, right you after went with it Jeff opened. Daniels. You yeah. Went to that, huh? Yeah, I did. And that was incredible. I mean, everyone reads the book in what, eighth grade, mm-hmm. but, um, it's so timely right now and it's, it's chilling how far we haven't come in what, 60, 65 years since that piece was written. Um, it's, it, it's such an incredible piece. It's, I would highly recommend it's going breaking to see records. It's breaking records for like ticket sales. And yeah. Things, the, so. the best selling American play of all time mm-hmm. already. That's crazy. Quick selling. Yeah. Um, Jeff's amazing in that. Yeah. Have you, I mean, well, uh, we'll get to the rose, but, uh, sure. the, you, you started, uh, with bug that got you back into the, the acting thing. So mm-hmm. what happened after that? Like did, you were just off and you auditioning and yeah i did a show out in waterford i did uh, the glass menagerie a tennessee williams piece um who were you the gentleman caller (laughs) yeah i really like the the tom role but uh gentleman caller was a lot of fun um there's some great people in that cast maria kelly was in that show with me oh really her from class yeah yeah yeah. was she the the main i forget amanda yeah yeah um and then after that I did unsportsmanlike conduct at uh, Out Visible and Allen Park. That was an incredible experience because 
was the first time I'd ever worked on an original work and been part of the original cast. Um, Jeff Stolzer, who lives in New York, he's a playwright in New York, wrote it. And it very much kind of takes advantage of or comes piggyback off of the Me Too movement. Um, and I, I played a football player. I actually played like a Tom Brady-esque uh, quarterback. So, I remember you talking about this in class too. Yeah. How like out of place you felt. God, yeah. I I was like, thank God I don't have to throw a football. I'm gonna have to learn to throw a football at some point if I'm gonna play a football player again. Um, but I was I took it I took it really seriously. I gained like twenty pounds for the role. I hired a personal trainer and and uh tried to make it as believable as possible to the audience that I could ever be a professional football player. Mm-hmm. So the Rose, when did you get involved with that? And by the, by, by the way, the Rose is the purple rose for people that may not be familiar with it. It's Jeff Daniels theater in Chelsea. It's, it is very, very prestigious. When, if you, if you talk about Michigan theater, the purple rose is, is in a lot of ways is Michigan theater. Yeah. So. They've been around a long time. I think we're going on 30 years now. 91, I want to say it was, it was late eighties, early nineties. Okay. I yeah. I know it's past 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Jeff and uh, the people, uh, the artists at that time, uh, putting the theater together had, you know, a mission, which was bringing professional grade work to Detroit, uh, to Michigan, uh, more particularly, because uh, it's actually nowhere near Detroit. And um, and and so th- that, you know, people have the opportunity to do really good work without moving to Los Angeles or moving to New York. And, uh, and so I'm really grateful for that. I basically set out to do general auditions for the entire Michigan Detroit theater scene last spring. And the Purple Rose was the first theater that I happened upon. And I kind of just went in, um, full well planning on not being cast or even called back, but just when I went in the next year to do a general audition, it wouldn't be the first time that I was meeting these people or they would see my face. And, uh, it went really well. Um, I got a, a couple of understudy positions off the bat and then, um, guy who's the artistic director there as you know, Sandville. Yeah. He, uh, he offered me the role of Rob and never not once. And that the role that I'm currently in now, and Rob was originally written for an Asian or Latino actor, hmm. um, of color. So, um, Carrie Krim was convinced to, to take a chance on me and to, to change up uh, the description of that role just a little bit. That's cool though, that like right away, like you got a response. You know what I mean? Like right away they said, Oh, this guy can do it. Yeah. There's some, <laughs> there's a little bit of pressure there just because it's like, okay, I have a couple at that time, just one play under my belt for the first time in, in basically 10 years. So m- my mission statement was to just not fuck up the opportunity. <laughs> like that was kind of going into it. It was like, this is just an opportunity. I'm going to do everything that I can with it. And, um, you, you're surrounded by so many incredible artists, um, from all over the place, you know, that, that raise you up and, and make you, and make you better on a, on a daily basis. And, um, you know, the, the firing the judge really helps there. That's kind of where I learned to do that. I'm glad you brought that up because you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Firing the judge is something that that's, ex- I mean, it, it, the the rose came up with that phrase right like that's kind of something that they do in that company right? yeah everybody like, kind of has a different version of it a different but, version of it yeah. yeah i've been taking class with james cool at tipping point in northville and his version of it is version of it is um 
I will not let fear be a part of my experience or I'm not going to bring fear with, with me in, into the audition or on stage with me. It's kind of that, that same idea, but it's basically just like picturing your biggest judge. It could be yourself. It could be your director. It could be your audience and just making them go away. And the beautiful part about that is that you can do that as many times as you need to do it, mm -hmm. even when you're on stage. Yeah. I thought that was, they, they would have us do that every day at the beginning of class. Well, every day of class. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I'm still kind of struggling with how to do it properly, but it is a great exercise for those couple of seconds after you, you do the, is it, you have to actually visualize it. You know, you know who yes. I visualized <laughs> the, um, it, for some reason when he said the judge, when I think the judge, <laughs> Batman, the animated series had an episode where there's a villain called the judge Okay, and that he's this got the old, you know, powdered wig and this, this tall imposing figure spoiler. <laughs> he turns out to be another personality that two face develops, oh, wow. but that's who I pictured as the judge. Okay. So I, I could ask who you picture, but if it's too personal, you don't have to, tell it's me. different every day. You know, uh -huh. sometimes it's myself. A lot of the times it'll be myself the day before if a performance goes really well, or you, you think you feel good about it. You know, it doesn't actually matter how you feel, but you know, firing the expectations that you put on yourself of what, what this day is supposed to look like. That's the beautiful thing about theater. Mm -hmm. It's always going to change. It's always going to be a little bit different. You've got a hundred different hearts, um, in that, in that room with you taking in what you're doing differently. You're doing what you're doing differently because it's a different day. Different things occur to you. So just not putting any expectations on it and, 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 and giving yourself the opportunity to play. I know like last night in class, we're taking class together right now at tipping point and I thought you did a really nice job. I thought you were very truthful and you were pretty critical of yourself and we can all identify with that. But at the end of the day, it's really none of our business how we're doing. If you're not doing, if you're not helping to tell the story as best you can, the director is going to let you know, or the stage manager is going to let you know. And it's, it's just your job to, to show up and, and to, to live to live truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Yeah, that's right? another James Cool. Uh, uh, is it James Cool or is it somebody else? Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would would tell you that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, I I know I heard it from him. He mentioned it in class at some point. Yeah. in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I I definitely subscribe to that. Though. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's really interesting that you 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 put it that way because that's true. Like this is their livelihood. They don't want it to suck. So if if you suck, they're going to tell you and here's what's, here's what's going wrong and here's how we're going to fix it. Yeah. That yeah. I've, I've had to get out of my own way repeatedly that way. Um, because it's not the actor doesn't necessarily need to see the, the whole picture. You can't possibly see the whole picture. That's what the director is for someone that's outside of it. And so you have to trust, you know, you have to trust the artists that you're working with, the people that you're up there with. And, and you just have to be in the moment and very specific about what you're doing in that moment. It can't be, it can't be this big arc that you're worried about drawing over the course of the play. It's just about this one thing that you need in that moment, and how you're going to get it. Right. You're, you're living as that person in the moment. That's what you're trying to simulate, right? I'm not a professional actor. Obviously, I have an interest in it. Um, but I can tell you that I know what it feels like. Even not in just in acting, just performance in general, playing in a band or whatever. When you catch the wave, 
It's yeah. it's like surfing. It's like you're surfing a particular wave of energy, and you just you balance on it, and the stuff just comes without even, you know. It's not that you're not trying, but it almost feels like you're not trying. It's almost like the universe is doing it for you when it when it's going really well. Yeah, I, I find. Yeah, guy so. guy Sandville says it, it should feel like you're stealing, um, <laughs> the the wave that you're you're talking about. Um, and you know, a lot of the days you'll feel that on stage, you'll hit it and you'll, you'll feel all the feels and, and you'll go to those places that you, you hoped you, you could, you would go. And then some days your body works against you. And, you know, for whatever reason, you're not emotionally feeling, you know, what you, what you hope to or expect to or did last night. And it's all about having that, that bag of tools to, to get you through those and to still be presence and, and to, and to, and to, to give something to the people that you're on stage with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about never, not once we got about five minutes left. Um, cool. so, uh, but just, uh, how's it, how's it gone? I went and saw it, uh, at the end of January. Well, we got, we got nine minutes. That's oh. an eternity. Yeah, no, never mind. So talk. Okay? Let's we can. We can <laughs> well, it's seven fifty, and we're usually, but there's nobody after us, so you that's can that's why. Have just five yeah. minutes if you want. No, Welcome no, we'll, to the three hour podcast. <laughs> uh, so I'll start with this. Um, I went and saw it back in January. I didn't know anything about it. I, mm-hmm. I, I intentionally did not like. I mean, I, I don't think you can. You know, I, I looked at the synopsis and everything. I knew who you were playing because they. Discussed in class, Michelle Mountain, who's the uh, the female lead in in the play, mm-hmm. was one of the teachers in the AD lab. Mm-hmm. So I through all that, I I kind of gleaned some information. Uh, really an incredible show. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but the it's the 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 title is said, and it's a perfect moment when they say the title. I really, really, really like the way that that was done. Yeah, when the title never not once the, the, the a character says it, and it's a I really loved the way it was it was uh, done. So, uh, you your character is uh, the boyfriend of the of the uh, the the story is. A, why don't you tell the story because you you know it better than I do. But you're, I know your character is the the boyfriend of one of the main the boyfriends. Yeah. yeah. Um. Basically, it's the story of a twenty year old young girl going to Rutgers who uh, was raised by her mom and her mom's partner Nadine. Uh. So she has she has lesbian parents, but she doesn't know. Um, who her father is. So maybe due to a little bit of nudging by her boyfriend, Rob, she goes out in search of him. So she comes home in the first scene and she kind of breaks the news, uh, to, to Allison and, and Nadine that this is what I'm, this is what I'm about to do. And then the play is the quest for her to find that and, and how it affects everybody else in the play. Yeah. And, uh, and so what was it like being part of that? Incredible. I mean, you have the gift of so much time when you're working at the purple rose, you get a, a five, six weeks of rehearsal, including previews. So you get so much time to throw everything up against the wall, you know, doing entire, entire scenes or entire runs with a, a certain given circumstance that might not be written in the script, but let's, let's try this. Let's see where we go with this. And, and if you find, um, one really great truthful moment or a couple of those by doing that, um, you keep it, you know, put it in your bag and, and then before you know it without making any, you know, choices going into it, you've f- fully fleshed out this, this entire show. And, 
and with the the artists that are existing in it with you right now, it's not the same as the the play would be the next time it's it's produced. Um, and and that was that took all the pressure off of me, you know, like God, I'm at the Purple Rose, and like all these people are asking questions about that and what that means, and it's just like play, you know, play, uh, tell the truth, and uh, and breathe with your with your mouth open. And- <laughs> And and how long is it uh, until it? How, how much longer you got to go? I think we it? have four more weeks, including this weekend. Uh, so we close on the sixteenth, which is a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we have a good few weeks. And it's interesting that the next show you're doing is all my sons, and you're understudying for Chris, right? Yeah. So because that's a similar, I mean, in in the sense that it's about two young people who come back home huh. and, and and they're getting married and there's these parents that have some baggage that they're still working through and it's the the whole play is about the consequences of how those things yeah i guess you out. could i guess you could draw some some parallels there for sure um all my sons is my favorite um, definitely my favorite arthur miller maybe my favorite american play i prefer it to death of a salesman that may just because uh salesman is produced so often mm-hmm. i rarely see all my sons produced I love the time period. Uh, I love kind of the, the, the post-war heightened stakes really set the, set the scene for the entire show. Um, the character of Chris is, is really needy. I'm excited to, to sink my teeth into that. I'm excited for the opportunity to understudy. Um, so maybe lower stakes, maybe, maybe, and, uh, the opportunity to, to watch, to take in. Who is the, who's, uh, the cast is Chris right now. Ryan Black is uh, he's a New York actor. He's a good friend of Carrie Krim, who wrote the current show, and um, he is coming to do All My Sons, and then actually the summer show as well. Welcome to Paradise. So I'm understudying him on both on both accounts. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yep. So he's coming in on Monday. I get to meet him on Monday. Nice. Well, uh, I, it's funny because we did a scene in the at, in class last night from. All my sons, mm-hmm. just by coincidence, right? And it was really interesting because I I was watching you, and I already knew that you could act. I did a scene with you in the AD lab, and you know I'd, I'd seen you I'd seen you dance with the stress ball. Yes, yes. you're hilarious. Your boss, with this guy's a, hilarious. Don't let him tell you any different. <laughs> uh, and um, and uh, the, you know, I knew that you knew what you were doing. I'd watched you dance. That's what I couldn't. That was there was one more thing I wanted to mention. I we did this, you know, one of these exercises is they'll play music and then they'll be like, follow this person in the group and follow this person. I remember the last one that you guys ever did in your in your group, the last scene in the class. Yeah, you freaking busted out like this incredible routine. You were falling on the floor and rolling around and jumping. And, all these and the rest of the group was trying to follow you. And they yeah. and they clearly were like, what the hell has gotten? And into you could this probably guy? take it down to an eight. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that was. I never get to dance anymore. So, if you if you give me the opportunity, I'm going to run with it. There you go, man. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I knew you could do it. But last night, you you did. We, it was a callback simulation, and you did uh, two. You did a scene with Anne, and you're you're asking her to marry you. Yeah. And uh, the it was so interesting because you did it once, and then James talked to you and gave you notes, and then you did it again, and. Both times it was seamless, but it was still different. And it was so cool to see you interpret it the way that you, you know, on your own mm-hmm. and then tell, have James tell you, oh, try it this way. And then you did it and it was still believable. You, I, it, I didn't see you trying. You know what I mean? Um, 
So, I mean, that, that it's I always compare it to when I'm in a movie or watching a movie, and you can tell when a person is acting, you know, yeah. instead of just being or doing doing it. And it was so cool because even in this little exercise in this in this class, you still had it, and it was I I was just like in the audience. I'm like, wow, this guy, this is why this guy does it for a living. Like, and it's so interesting that you didn't, I had no idea that you, you, you had taken a break and I mean, you studied it and things and you did it as a kid, but there was a huge gap and you still got right back into it. And immediately people started hiring you. So this really is what you were meant to do. Right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, you know, if I've learned anything at the Rose, it's just keep it simple. It's always about the other person. So if you're in your head or it looks like you're trying too hard, that's because you're paying attention to yourself and it's never about you. Mm -hmm. It's not interesting to watch and it's not believable. Right. Um, yeah, it was, it was last night was cool. The, the notes that I got from James were cool because it, it was, it was kind of all about, um, just, getting out of your way, helping, helping yourself, making it, making it about the other person and then making, making some choices and sticking, sticking with it. Yeah. Well, Hey man, uh, we got to wrap this up, Cool. but, uh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Um, and, uh, we'll see you out there, man. Uh, when does all my sons start? Uh, we, we start rehearsals in a couple of weeks. I think it's the beginning the first or second weekend of April. I think April is when, is when we it opens. Yep. Okay. Check that out. Go see, uh, if you can catch never not once before it's, uh, before it's over, go see that. Um, and we will, we will keep an eye out for you, man. So, all right. Uh, thanks again. Thanks, I, Alex. Yeah. I will be back, uh, next week. The lead singer of, uh, 10,000 maniacs is going to be joining us, uh, via Skype. Wow. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to her. I used to listen to the album that she sang on. My parents would play it whenever we went on vacation. So that's going to be an interesting uh, experience to talk to her. My mom actually sent me questions that she wants me to, to ask. Uh, so uh, so awesome. I'll be doing that. Um, and Mary Ramsey is her name. She took over for Natalie Merchant. Natalie Merchant left the band in 1993. Really, really looking forward to talking to her. Um, so everybody have a great week, and I will be back. This, is, uh, this has been American Winer on PodcastDetroit.com.